What's going on, guys? Michael here, Energy 360 by Intercom. Excited to be bringing you this awesome interview that we literally just recorded with Bernadette Johnson, who's a vice president of analytics and strategy over at Enverness, which is one of the best data research and data SaaS uh, companies on the market right now. But before we dive into that, I just need to do a little clerical work and tell you about www.oilandgas360.com and all of the cool new content we have. You can see the 360 Digital Closing Bell, which is a podcast that I host every single day. We do the digital ticker and then twice a week we do a re uh, week in review. You can subscribe to that show on iTunes, Spotify. You can subscribe to Intercom's YouTube at YouTube. You can also go to www.oilandgas360.com and sign up for the Closing Bell email. I really appreciate all your support. All right, this interview, we literally just recorded with Bernadette. We just got her off the line. It was an awesome interview overlaying everything that's going on in the oil and gas markets right now. Enverness came out with a really great report called The Dark Side of the Boom. I'd highly recommend checking it out. If you haven't, you can go to www.enverness.com and check that out. Really what it talks about is some of the four shut-ins that are going to happen. We talk about some of the gas storage issues. We touch on what that looks like for earnings season. And then we have to cut in a second part because while we were doing the interview, um, so news about uh, from the Algeria um, OPEC minister came out and said that he expects 10 million barrels specifically just from OPEC. And that does not include what they think the rest of the world. So we had to ask her what she thinks of that market was moving crazy. And we got her take on everything. This is an awesome interview and I would highly recommend watching the end. And with that, I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to Stu. Uh, Bernadette, uh, we are so glad you're here. Uh, where are you in your office? Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm actually still in Denver, Colorado. I'm social distancing by coming to my office where no one else is. So I'm oh. here. I've got good internet, video, everything works pretty well. So you're glad to be out of the house? I am. I've got a three-year-old and a six-year-old. And so they're, they're with dad and that's every day I get home, it's just a mess. So I'm happy oh. to be out of that. For and Aaron, you're up in Denver too, aren't you? I'm in Denver. I'm I'm at my house today with my three little ones, so I'm making the mess. Oh my goodness! And and, uh, <laughs> and uh, Michael, you're still up in Denver as well too. I'm still here, hanging in there, undisclosed location. Oh my goodness! And I'm here in Dallas, so I'm the only odd duck out here. But uh, Bernadette, you wrote and you had in such a great article out yesterday that came out and said, uh, you know. You guys know your numbers, and it's uh, just unbelievable um, what Enverness is doing. Enverness is doing for all of the uh, clients and numbers. Your article, "Welcome to the Dark Side of the Boom," had just a ton of information in it, and we're so excited to hear some of the uh, feedback and and those kind of things. Absolutely, it's a it's a crazy time to be in the industry. So every every day things are changing. So we're happy to happy to help or talk about numbers wherever we can. Well, that's great. I, I kind of want to jump in and, and dive into that report if we can. Uh, and I'll start off from a from a very high level. Certainly, we're going through and we're all in our our own locations as Stu started here. Uh, what are you guys seeing from a demand destruction perspective related to? Uh, COVID-19 and, and maybe there's, uh, what implications are you seeing so far and, and what are some of the things that we should be looking at to, to get better perspective on? Is it gonna be on the, on the high end of the ranges we're hearing? I've, I've heard a couple folks say 20 million barrels a day lost in demand or, or towards the lower end of a range. Um, what are you guys seeing? Sure, so we think it's at least 20. 
we think 20 today, 20 through most of April into May, with maybe even a little bit higher than 20 is likely. So 20 plus million barrels a day of demand destruction. Uh, most of that is actually happening on the gasoline side. So that's an important note, is that you're still seeing things like the middle distillates, like the trucking fuel, bunker fuel for shipping, uh, industrial uses. That is still maintaining pretty good strength. And you can see that in the refined product prices. But gasoline has taken a dramatic dip. Uh, and, and kerosene also. So kerosene being jet fuel, not a lot of air traffic right now. I think that the good news in that is that you are seeing a little bit of an artificial demand because the airlines are required to fly certain routes and certain distances to qualify for any of that bailout money. And that's important, right, to keep that air, air movement of goods and services and people that have to move around. So that's not as bad as it could be. I would say gasoline, though, is it's terrible. So it's, it's easily 20. Our number for the average for Q2 is about 14 million barrels a day oversupplied, which most of that is the demand destruction. And that's based on a very weak April, a very weak May, and then some recovery starting in June. And so when you think about that number, and certainly this has been, you know, a Q1, certainly going to be a Q2 event. You talk about recovery. Where do we, where do you guys see the end of the year uh, coming into play or when do, when do we get back in balance, I guess? Yeah, so that's a tricky one. I think it, a lot of it depends on what happens with the OPEC meeting, OPEC plus and whoever else that might include now that happens Thursday. So we should get a little bit more information then about what that could look like. But I would say we look at it and we would say, even without, we'll have some level of cuts. I think we're pretty confident that's gonna happen. But even at this point, when does it take effect? Probably not until a June 1 start date or maybe a July 1 start date, which would actually, the timeline would fit pretty well with when we think demand starts coming back. Because once you have these restrictions lifted and people are able to go to work again, that gasoline demand comes back pretty quickly, like almost at the same speed at which it came off. And so that is good news. And actually, I think if we look back to what happened in China with the SARS event, you actually saw road traffic congestion after that, after the restrictions were lifted, was higher than before. So what happens is people are, are locked in their house, they can't leave. As soon as they can drive, they start. And you might actually see road traffic higher than before all of these shelter-in-place orders were implemented. So that helps with gasoline. Doesn't necessarily help with jet fuel. And so it does mean that you're not gonna see demand come back full force. It's gonna take some time, especially that jet fuel component. Um, now, if you think of the supply side, because that's the demand piece, supply side, the market works, right? As painful as it is, we're already seeing forced shut-ins. We're seeing the storage market for crude has become completely illiquid. Nobody is buying or nobody's willing to sell storage. Of course not, right? If you are an operational person, you're really worried about filling storage and what do you do? You also never fill storage to 100% if you're a refinery or someone like that because you need flexibility to, to shift those tanks around. If you are a trader, like if I was a trader right now, I'm looking at that $5 contango that's spread between May and June. And I'm saying $5 seems significant, but I think the front, the prompt month is gonna fall completely apart when, when shut-ins happen. And that price could drop to $10. And I don't, that $5 could widen to 15 or 20. So if I'm a trader, I'm banking on that probably. And I'm saying, I'm not gonna buy crude today and lock in $5. I'm gonna buy crude when things really get bad and I'm gonna make $20. So now you, we're kind of in this log jam where the storage markets evaporated. Uh, we still have crude moving down the pipes. 
Demand will come back fairly quickly. Supply side is gonna take, it's gonna be painful. You're gonna see four shut-ins. You have to see the supply come out of the market because refiners aren't buying it. So that's gonna correct um, and that's short term. So we would tell you, that's a very long-winded answer to, some of this is correcting itself because that's how the market works. Demand starts coming back in June, July. Then we have to work off the stocks overhang that we are building worldwide. So we don't really get into more of an equilibrium point until Q4. And so that, and then we're building ducks, right? So ducks is another form of storage. So it's, there's gonna be a couple quarters of pretty significant pain here before we have kind of a longer term recovery. So I wanna dive into a couple of those things on the supply side. As we think about, you know, these four shut-ins and certainly these things are, are needing to happen. I think there's a perception out there that we can just turn the, turn the wells back on after, after we're ready to turn them back on. Is, is that overly simplistic or is that, really the the case i think it's it's a bit overly simplistic but you can return a lot of it so the, the best example is offshore gulf of mexico we shut those wells in routinely because of hurricane season right so we know we can do it for a period of time we don't want to do it and it there is certainly cost associated with bringing it back on but it's not permanently gone oil sands is another good example the mining projects are easier to actually pair back it does cost you to restart but it's not like sag d sag d if you, you can't just stop operations because of the many year cycle it takes to get it back online. But what we do know is they go down for regular maintenance every year, right? They pull back capacity. And so that can happen for a period of time. So I would say there is more flexibility in the system than some would tell you, but it's not, a, it's not completely flexible. If you shut in some of these stripper wells, some of these small wells that are on pump, you try and bring it back on, you may not get back to a level that's economic. So you, there will be very likely some kind of permanent shut-ins that happen. We don't think it's a massive volume though. And we do think that there is a fair amount of flexibility in the system that some folks aren't accounting for. That's awesome. I wanna shift gears a little bit. We've talked about a lot about the oil side and, and we've been getting a lot of calls on our investor relations lines on natural gas producers. And you know what, what maybe a, a bright spot here in the nearer term is natural gas. So if, if we're producing less well, or oil wells and less associated gas, maybe in the Permian, uh, we saw Exxon's announcement yesterday, cutting, cutting primarily out of the Permian and, and others. What does that mean for gas markets here? Yeah, that's a good question. And that's probably the, the whole silver lining here is that when you think about the COVID demand destruction, we've had the gas demand has actually held up pretty well. The crude demand has fallen off a cliff, but we, we can see power. Power markets are very pretty much real time. Like you can see that it's very liquid. You can see electricity movement and demand supply. Power's hung in there. We do see some demand destruction in areas like the New York ISO. They're down 10 to 15%, but it's not 30% or 40%. Other areas, like even ERCOT, they were only down one to 3% initially, and now it's inching up to like three to 5% demand destruction, but it's not massive. California, similar levels, more like a five to 10% demand destruction. So power is not being largely impacted. We're still using a lot of that power demand. Residential, commercial, the heating, people are still heating homes, right? We still need that demand. Industrial, by and large, is still hanging on to. And LNG markets overall are still, we're seeing a little bit of a drip, of, of a drop, in LNG send out capacity and the natural gas flow data, but it's, it's 500,000 a day, it's not massive. So demand looks pretty good for gas. Supply, that's the interesting part. I think when you're hearing all these pullbacks in crude directed drilling, 
you're knocking out a ton of, of associated natural gas production. And that production was the cheapest production, right? That was gas that you got pretty much as a byproduct of developing crude assets. And so moving that out of the stack means now you need to have a net higher gas price to balance the market. And again, balance the market because demand is actually still pretty strong. So now we're looking at it and we're saying, the natural, the natural decline rate that you might see take over crude, a lot of these basins, we can't have that happen in natural gas because we need it. So we entered this year at pretty high storage levels for gas, which is why the gas price collapsed earlier than usual and it looked pretty rough. But now already it's out of the 150s, right? It's back up to $1.80 or so and it's coming up. And we think by the end of the year, when you actually start to see a lot of that associated gas fall off, you're gonna need to spur gas-directed drilling in places like the Haynesville and the Northeast Marcellus Utica. And we're looking at, certainly we could get to a $4 gas price. If we have a normal summer and a normal winter, we could easily get there by Q4. So we're definitely expecting a, a gas price response. And we saw something similar last time crude prices collapsed, right? You actually saw a strong gas price when we had normal weather because of that same dynamic. So that's, we think that that's gonna happen and maybe a bright spot for some of these folks that do have gas assets that can shift during this painful period for crude. Yeah, no, that, it's absolutely something that, that our investor base is starting to pick up on. And, you know, I think there's still, still opportunity out there and whenever there's distress, you know, there's folks that are trying to keep their eyes open and, and listen to your words and understand where supply and demand is going. Absolutely. And we've got, it's interesting, we've got, um, we've got some takeaway capacity now from the Northeast, right? So we can get some more rigs going, produce more natural gas, move it around the country to the places where we need it. And so that's good. And I think if you look at some of the stocks that have outperformed recently, you see strength on the gas side. You see, especially Northeast operators that can be responsive, that can pull back, pull rigs back into the market and start generating significant volumes. Haynesville is a little trickier because it's a lot of private operators. Those assets changed hands over the past several years. Used to be public companies, now it's private companies. So you don't have a ton of visibility, but Haynesville grew last year. Haynesville grew by a BCF a day that a lot of the market didn't think they could do. And those private investors got in there, put that capital to work, and they were able to drill and take some of these lessons learned in other plays and make that Haynesville area more economic, more productive. So we're definitely expecting that Haynesville will be part of this general broader story of we need more natural gas supply and where do we get it from. Absolutely. And I think, you know, one of the positive notes we saw, uh, maybe it was a couple of weeks or last week, I think, uh, Range Resources, large Marcellus player, uh, had their borrowing base redetermined. A lot of our clients are going through that borrowing base redetermination season. And I'm sure a lot of the bankers are happy to see gas prices be a little bit more supportive. Their borrowing base was held flat, you know, maybe a little bit something that they don't have to, uh, to worry about as much and they can focus on some other names. Yeah, absolutely. I think the gas players generally look fairly strong. Um, I think it, it is interesting because that that this redetermination cycle and what this what happens for folks that need access to capital, the gas guys generally seem to be better positioned. And especially when you look at areas that have plenty of natural gas takeaway transportation capacity, I mean that this year that can make or break you. And so there are certainly operators out there that are stronger than others. Yeah, and this is just where, Bernadette, I wanted to jump in here because I think this is a good time to bring up sort of maybe what you guys predict this earnings seasons is going to look like for a co for some companies. I know the last time we heard um, from these companies, gas price or uh, oil and gas prices were a little higher. Is there anything you expect coming out of earnings season that, that, that you can set some, shed some light on? Yeah, I think it's it's a little tricky with for this next round, just because gas prices are still $1.80, right? We're talking about higher gas prices, but we came into this year 
very high levels of storage. It's flattened out dramatically, and we're going to see that that storage level return to probably the low range of our five-year max min. The gas market is very efficient, right? Prices will do whatever they need to do so that we get to a storage level at the end of the summer injection season so that we're prepared for next winter. Mm -hmm. So the same thing, like you saw the gas price fall dramatically, you're going to see it come up dramatically. For earnings season, it feels like it's too soon to really hear a lot of those Northeast guys come out and in, in increase CapEx dramatically. But the next round, that's when I expect you'll start to hear it. Because I think it's, it's going to be interesting. Right now, everybody's coming out and announcing lower CapEx spend and pullbacks and rigs. And we've lost almost 100 rigs since this time last week. So that is happening quickly. But on the flip side, who then on the gas side comes out and starts saying, we're adding to CapEx, we're spending more, we're adding some rigs back. That, I think, it, this next season is probably too early. But the one after that, we should start to hear that pretty quick. And it's interesting, the gas market works so well, right? It's so efficient because there's so much information and gas moves so quickly. The crude market, as fast as everything's changing, it's kind of still like this slow motion train wreck almost, mm -hmm. right? Like why is it taking so long for these, for like the prompt month to fall apart? It's because crude moves in slow motion. Like it really takes a long time to move crude on pipe and you don't have that really liquid cash spot market today where you're buying and selling. So it's taking longer in crude, but we're seeing it unfold. And on gas, when it comes back, I think it's gonna be much quicker. You're gonna see the market turn pretty quickly. Wow. On that same, same notice on the OPEC plus meeting uh, on Thursday, if that falls apart, this may be a personal opinion for you, uh, Bernadette, but do you see Trump coming in and, and putting embargoes or uh, trade um, things on the Russian imports and the Russian uh, OPEC oil into the U.S.? Because we still uh, import quite a bit. So that's a good question. I think imports broadly, we vast majority of what we import is Canadian, three and a half million barrels a day. It's a lot, right? And yep. that's, I mean, that's an extension of the U.S. in many ways when we think about the market. We bring in about 700,000, 800,000 barrels a day of Mexico, right? So again, that, that is coming. We are very connected in terms of supply and demand. The parts that we import, so I think all of OPEC, we only import about 800,000 a day recently. Russia, very little, right? We, we're not really bringing anything in from Russia. So if you look at it, even if there were some change in the tariff rules or embargoes on imports, it doesn't impact that much volume. And you think about other things that could happen, like you could, they could implement some level of sanctions that, that um, harm other people that take Russian crude. A lot of who takes Russian crude, China, are they going to care? Probably not. Mm -hmm. So that is, it's kind of like, what could you really do that would change the market? Not that much. I think it's, it's also interesting because some of these things that are being floated around where like Texas, for instance, the railroad commission might make a move to, to adjust supply and implement some of the same rules we had back in the 60s where you have these quotas. It's interesting because if you, you could do that, when would it happen? Who knows? What would that actual formula be? Who knows? Uh, but the market's kind of doing that anyway, right? If there's no buyer for your crude and you're forced to shut in because you have a light barrel that nobody wants because it produces gasoline, that's already happening. Refinery runs are already down. We've heard from major refiners here in the US that they are cutting their utilization back to 75, 50% or less. We're two weeks behind Europe in terms of this time, this timeline. And we heard announcements last week, European refineries are shutting down temporarily because there's no demand. We're probably gonna hear refineries here shutting down soon temporarily because there is no demand, right? And that's to be expected. So it's I look at it and I it's almost like you may see some things happen. You may get to Thursday. There, what could happen is that OPEC plus 
um, comes to an agreement on a certain level of cuts probably wouldn't be in effect till June or July. And it could also be contingent on certain cuts out of the US. But what that number is, who knows? Maybe they decide on something, they toss it to the US to try and figure out if we will or will not comply. How would you comply? Well, the natural decline is gonna sort some of this out. The forced shut-ins are going to force, like we're already gonna see production roll over because you can't find a buyer for some of these barrels. So that's already gonna happen. So I look at it like these things are gonna happen no matter what. You can, you can try and manipulate the market, you can try and, and change the rules, but you might actually just cause more harm than good. Because if you end up saying, let's inadvertently shut in a lot of Texas crude that happens to be heavier, where those are the products, that crude produces products that people actually need, like the middle distillates, like uh, trucking fuel, industrial uses, you need that. If you accidentally cause that to be shut in and the lights not to be, the refiners are still not gonna buy the lights. What would happen? They would probably still, they would import then more barrels. So you could do this weird thing, unintended consequences, right? Where you change the market or you change the rules and it doesn't line up with what refined product demand is doing and what refiners want and a completely new set of consequences plays out. And so that's, I think, more of the risk that we could see happen here. No matter how you slice it, U.S. production is going to roll over. It's already happening. And so do we comply with it? Or the optics are that we're complying with these cuts? Yes. Is it because the market is working? Yes. So I think the next couple of weeks are going to be interesting. But U.S. supply is going to roll over no matter what. There's really no way to stop it at this point. Wow. Uh, Aaron, uh, you got any thoughts to add on to that? Lot. <laughs> Thank you, Bernadette. Bur Whoa. <laughs> no, I think, I think you, you obviously incredibly uh, insightful and, and thoughtful yeah. as you go through that analysis. And, and I think those unintended consequences are, are, are something that, you know, we don't have this on and off switch. The markets are that on and off switch. And I think you, you uh, got your pulse on that pretty good. So I appreciate you being with us today. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to help. And there's, there's so much unknown. Uh, but I think there's also things that we can predict. We can know certain things about refineries and we can know certain things about production. And it's it, there's going to be a lot of fallout, right? And the, the pain, I don't think, is over. Is WTI is still going to come down? It's prop month, maybe going to collapse? Oh, we think so, right? So that pain is still coming. But in some ways, I would say the sooner we allow that the market to sort it out, the sooner we actually have a path to recovery. And that is generally better than artificially propping up prices and allowing maybe a slower drop in rigs than should actually happen just because there's some hope out there. The sooner we correct and get to a balanced market, the better it is for everybody. And so that, that's where we tend to look, is how do we get there and how quickly does the market force that, no matter what happens artificially with legislature or rules or anything else. Well, uh, Bernadette, thank you very much. Michael, thank you. Uh, and Aaron, as always, we really appreciate everybody on this team. And um, uh, we love Enverus. Uh, you, you guys absolutely rock. I mean, you guys have the data. You have the Bernadette. You're cool. Sorry. Uh, it's just, you know your stuff. And we just really appreciate you. Bernadette, along that note, I, I just you know wanted to point out while we were on this interview, we had some pretty crazy news drop um, about OPEC Plus considering anywhere between 10, but they're really pushing for 20 million barrels. I'm seeing Ryan Sutton came out and said the same, uh, same thing. It's pretty much driven crude through this interview up uh, $1.80 to $2. Is there a number that Enverus is eyeing that if, if these cuts are to actually take place that you would like to see? or And what is your sort of thoughts on, on all these different rumors coming out? Yeah, that's a great question. I think 
20 is more is much closer to what the actual demand instruction is. So that makes sense, right? When it was 10 or maybe less 10% cuts for a while that was being discussed, that was never going to help anybody. That was a drop in the bucket. So that level is significant. And I think that's why the market's responding. I think there's still a lot of unknown stuff. If they negotiate cuts, is that effective when? June 1st or July 1st? Well, that means a lot of pain for April and May. So should the prompt month may be responding that way? No, there's no way, right? Also relative, how much is 20 million barrels a day relative to OPEC supply? OPEC supply before this was about 27 million barrels, right? They've said they're gonna increase about 2.6 and they're gonna be hovering around 30 million. Plus you have Russia, so that's another 10 million. So now we've got what, 40 million barrels. 40 million, are they really gonna cut half of their supply? I don't know about that, right? So there is some embedded what does that number actually include? Is that assuming some cuts from other players outside of even just the US? Because you have to, the non-OPEC, non-US, 50 something million barrels, it's huge, right? So you, to get to that level, you would have to have pretty broad adoption from a lot of the major oil producers. And I don't think that we're there yet. And we don't know that they would actually agree to that. So I think this is more, you're gonna hear tweets like this. You're gonna hear information like this come out. When you actually dig into the details, it's never a, as rosy a picture as the market initially prices in, and then you'll see prices come back. And I would say certainly for April spot, for May, even for June forwards, it doesn't matter. Like it's already too late. There's already so much pain that has to happen to correct the market that we're in now. That is not gonna save us in the very near term. But certainly if we can get sustained cuts negotiated that start mid-year, that would definitely speed up the market equilibrium in that correction and help us get to a price in the 40s later this year. So that would help, certainly. We need to see some cuts. Um, but I think there's a lot of unknown in that number and that tweet. Yeah, I, I see it hard to believe that we're going to get most of the U.S. producers to come on board when Oxy comes out yesterday and says they're vehemently opposed to any sort of cuts. So, you know, these bigger, op, you know, these larger operators don't necessarily want to cover it. So it'll be very interesting to see how this plays out. That's, that's right. I mean, we've got hundreds of operators in the U.S. that have active rigs. Um, thousands, when you think of the folks that have wells that are active that may not be drilling new wells. I mean, that, there's a lot of people in the mix. And I would say, ultimately, the market always wins. Like, we can manipulate the market for short periods of time, but ultimately, the market always wins. Can I quote you on that, Bernadette? Yes. <laughs> for sure. Thank you again, Bernadette and Aaron and Michael. We, I, this is fun.